going to be a good group right there. Lord bless you, Kenzie. Bless you. <laughs> Amen. Well, although men outnumber women in Bible stories, the Bible does never neglect the importance nor the influence of women of faith. There is an invaluable contribution that women have made to the glory of God's kingdom. And that's what today is about. Honoring you ladies, you women of faith, and just saying thank you for participating, thank you for building into the glory of God's kingdom. We know many of these women of faith. We know many famous women in the Bible. We know who the first woman was, don't we? Who is it? Eve. Amen. We also know the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? Mary, we do. You may remember some other significant women like Sarah, Abraham's wife. Maybe you remember Miriam, the sister of Moses. Maybe you remember some of the more notorious women like Delilah, who is at least partially responsible for the downfall of Samson. Perhaps you remember Jezebel, the wife of that evil king Ahab. But there's one biblical woman that never received much attention until about the year 2006. In 2006, in his book entitled The Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown created some controversy about this woman named Mary Magdalene. According to Dan Brown, Mary Magdalene was the beloved apostle that wrote the book of John in the Bible. He claimed in his book that not only did Jesus marry Mary, but that he also fathered a child that would go on to be the head of a royal dynasty that served over France and Germany. But I want to tell you something this morning, and I want you to listen very carefully. There is not one single shred of evidence that says what Dan Brown says. Nothing. Uh, however, Mary Magdalene is a shining example of what the Lord Jesus Christ does in the lives of those who follow him. Now, the earliest mention of Mary Magdalene is found in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. And I'm just going to share the first three verses with you there. Now, it came to pass afterward that he, Jesus, uh, went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. And Susanna, and many others who provided for him, Jesus, from their substance. 
We're told there that Mary from Magdala, that was the city she was from, is one of many women that Jesus healed. That he healed her not only of uh, being demon-possessed, but also of many other infirmities. And afterwards, she accompanied Jesus and the 12 disciples as they proclaimed the good news that the kingdom of God was at hand. Now, after this, the next time we read of Mary Magdalene, Jesus is hanging on the cross. Let me share that with you in Matthew chapter 27. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on. Among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joses, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Then the last time that we hear about Mary Magdalene is after Jesus is raised from the grave on that glorious third day. But who is this Mary Magdalene? Who is she? Well, today I want to set out to give you a little illumination. I want to describe to you and show you who Mary Magdalene was. Beginning with this fact, Mary was a woman who was inwardly influenced by Satan. And back in Luke 8, the Bible said that the twelve were with him and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. Now, for some reason, tradition teaches that Mary Magdalene was the adulterous woman we find in Luke chapter 7. For some reason, tradition teaches that Mary Magdalene was that woman that washed Jesus' feet, wiped them with her hair, and then anointed his feet with that alabaster flask of oil. But I want to tell you something very clear this morning. That's not her. That's not Mary Magdalene that we find in Luke chapter 7. But what is true is this. Mary Magdalene was a woman who had a very deep spiritual need. Without Christ, she was under the power of Satan. She was under the power of sin. Without Christ, she was under the control of seven demons. Without Christ, her life was filled with distress, with dread, and with discord. She didn't know Christ, therefore she had no peace. Without Christ, she was in a helpless and hopeless condition. But if you try hard enough, friend, if you try hard enough, you can identify with Mary Magdalene's condition. There was a time when you yourself were without Christ. There was a time when you yourself was under the control of the Lord of this world, Satan. There was a time when you were under the control of sin. Now, in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul tells what it feels like to be under the power of sin. He tells us that in many ways, you and I 
were just exactly like this demon-possessed woman under the power and control of Satan. See if this brings back some memories. Maybe it brings back memories of yesterday for you. In Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, Paul writes to the believers in Rome, saying, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. I'm of the flesh. Sold under sin. For what I am doing, I don't understand. You ever been there? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? You ever been there? Just me? I mean, that's three of us. Good. Amen? <laughs> Verse 15. For what I will to do, that I don't practice. But what I hate, that's what I do. Verse 16. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's not good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin dwells in me. For I know that in me, that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I don't find it. Ever been there? Verse 19, for the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that's what I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it. It's that sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law. Active in my members, warring against the law of my mind, get this, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And listen to what the great Apostle Paul said of himself. Oh, wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then I bet his ears perked up. His memory was jogged. And he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's how. Amen. Consider this, friend. Just like Mary Magdalene, you and I had a sin problem and we were sold to the enemy. Did you hear what verse 14 said? In Romans 7, verse 14, for I am, but I am carnal, sold under sin. That's how you were. Not only did, did our sin sell us out to the enemy, but Satan's influence, that sin, dwells in us. Did you hear what 17 said? But that sin dwells in me. For I know that in me, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Then he also said that we were held captive by our sin. There in verse 23, bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. 
Do you remember that day when you were there? And then the Bible says that we are wretched. And because we are wretched, we are condemned to death. Verse 24, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? See, without Jesus, we have no hope. Friends, the wages of sin is death. That's right. You may have been inwardly influenced by Satan and sin, just like Mary Magdalene. But I want to tell you this, you don't have to remain that way. Just like Mary didn't, she didn't remain that way, neither do you, because the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may have that sin dwelling in you. You may feel captive in that body of sin. You may feel wretched. You may feel like you're nothing worth nothing other than death. Jesus says differently. Jesus says, you don't have to stay that way. But not only was Mary a woman who was internally influenced by Satan, we also noticed that Mary was a woman who was divinely delivered by the power of Christ. In, again, in verse uh, 8, or chapter 8, verse 1, And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed. Healed. That's what happens to the Christian, friend. We are healed of this sin curse, this sin disease. And just like you and I are healed, so too was Mary Magdalene healed, divinely delivered. Friend, her situation, her condition was absolutely hopeless. She felt like it was time to just throw in the towel. There was nothing that a man could do for her. There was no, uh, no surgery that could be done, no appointment that could be kept, no prescription that could be taken. There was no doctor, no psychiatrist, no psychologist, no counselor that could help this woman out. There was nothing that a man could do. Psalm 108 kind of sums it up as David was just shouting out to the Lord saying, Lord, give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. You ever feel that way? The help of man is useless. I need divine intervention. I need to be divinely delivered, just like Mary Magdalene. But here's some good news for you today. Some good news this morning. The more extreme your crisis is, the more opportunity God has to be glorified. So never, ever give up hope. Never, ever throw in the towel until such point as you are uh, possessed by eight demons. You can look at this story of Mary Magdalene and say, God did it for her. He'll do it for me. You know, from man's point of view, Mary's situation was absolutely hopeless. But from God's point of view, there are no helpless cases. He awaits to divinely deliver those who struggle and need his help. So Christ came in. Christ healed her. Christ delivered her. Christ gave her new life. And I think that's what we are all seeking when we start coming to Christ. We're seeking new life. And when Mary came to Christ, here's something you need to know. She didn't have to get all cleaned up. Before she came, 
She came just as she was. A demon-possessed woman. She had to come just as she was to Jesus Christ and allow his grace to transform her, heal her, and do that divine work that she needed done in her. In the very same way, the very same way when you and I come to God, you come bringing nothing. You can't bring any of your good works. You can't bring any of your past accolades. You can't bring any of your past works of any kind. You bring nothing but Jesus with you when you stand before God. Because there are those, those righteous acts that we do are like filthy rags in the sight of God. We have to bring something that's pure, something that's holy, something that uh, has redeeming quality. And there's only one that has a redeeming quality, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So friend, trusting in your own so-called goodness, depending upon some perceived self-righteousness, relying on some previous qualification is not receiving the gift of God. And it simply will not do. You have got to come just the way you are and humble yourself before the throne of grace and allow him to just pour out that grace all over you. It's only the grace of God, friend, that's received through faith in the only begotten Son of God that can deliver you from this body of death. Praise God that we have the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary was a woman who had been inwardly influenced by Satan and sin. But Mary was also a woman that was divinely delivered by the power of Jesus Christ himself. But I want to share with you that Mary was also a woman who became a fervent follower of Jesus. Luke tells us that along with many other godly women, Mary followed Jesus everywhere he went while he was preaching and proclaiming the good news that entrance into the kingdom of God was at hand. And out of gratitude, say gratitude. Out of gratitude, Mary Magdalene gave her hands to be used by the Lord. Out of gratitude, Mary Magdalene gave her feet to be used by the Lord Jesus Christ. Out of gratitude, friend, Mary Magdalene gave her heart to be used by the Lord Jesus Christ. Out of gratitude, Mary Magdalene gave of her own substance for the Lord Jesus Christ. In essence, she gave all to the Lord Jesus. And you know, that's what fervent followers do. They're not satisfied with just this small corner of my life. No, Jesus has got to have it all. We've got to give it all to the Lord Jesus. You know, when Jesus spoke about that adulterous woman back in Luke 7, he said, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. How grateful are you to Jesus Christ? 
Do you live a life of gratitude? Do you live a life of thankfulness for what Jesus has done for you? I read a story um, from William Tyndall about a lady on a boat. And she had a little girl, and the little girl fell overboard, and the lady just went beside herself. Now, on board was a gentleman who had this huge Newfoundland dog. Anybody knows what, know what a Newfoundland dog is? It's like a gigantic St. Bernard. It's like some of those dogs that, that Pat and, and Craig Carter have. These are huge dogs. And the dog was directed to leap into the water and go save that girl. He jumped in to the water, and by her dress, that dog pulled that little girl safely to shore. And when she got to shore, that mom just grabbed her up and started kissing her over and over again, hugging onto her for dear life. And after she was done with that little girl, she turned to that dog. And she began to to hug with a heart of gratitude, hug that dog. She began to kiss that dog right on the mouth. <laughs> Slobber and all, amen? Hugging again and again and again, loving on this animal out of gratitude. So how do you show your gratitude to Jesus for what he's done? How do you show your thankfulness for the Lord Jesus sparing you from the torments of hell? How do you demonstrate your gratitude? What is it you do with your hands to thank God? What is it you do with those two feet you got to thank Jesus for what he's done for you? What do you do with that loving heart you have to thank Jesus for what he's done for you? What do you do with this voice you have to thank Jesus for what he's done? What do you do with your money to thank Jesus for all he's done for you? Man, we are in the richest 8% of the entire world. Y'all hear that? The richest 8% of the world. What are you doing with yours to show gratitude to Jesus? Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. How are you teaching your kids to be thankful to the Lord with their possessions? You know how Mary Magdalene did it? She supported the ministry of Jesus Christ with her very substance, her and many other women. You know, even in adversity, Mary's faith in Christ stood firm. When Jesus was arrested, condemned, hanging on the cross, all the big manly men, like Peter and James and, and Thomas and Matthew, you know what they did, don't you? They all tail and ran but the women stayed with Jesus other than one man John the only ones who remained at the foot of the cross as Jesus was suffering 
were the faithful women who were fervently following him. You know those fervent followers, don't you? Nothing can keep them from following Jesus. So Mary was a woman who had been inwardly influenced by Satan and sin. Mary was a woman who was divinely delivered by the power of God. She was a fervent follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But finally this morning, Mary was a woman who became a working witness for Jesus Christ. The morning after Jesus was laid to rest in that tomb, Mary Magdalene and several other women came to anoint the body of Christ, which was the custom of the day. And they got there. And that tomb was empty. But what you may not know, what you may not realize, is that Mary Magdalene was the first eyewitness to the empty tomb. When the Sabbath had passed, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint Jesus' body. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said amongst themselves, who's going to roll away this stone from the door, from the tomb from us. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting at the right side, and they were sorely alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Guess what? He's risen, and he ain't here. Amen? This woman was the first eyewitness to the empty tomb. But Mary Magdalene was also the first eyewitness of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. Listen to this in Matthew 28, verse 9. And as they ran to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them and said, Rejoice! And so they came and held him by the feet and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Not only was Mary the first eyewitness to the empty tomb and the first eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus Christ, she was also the first person to witness to the disciples. In Mark chapter 16. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. And she went and she told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept over Jesus. And they went and they heard that he was alive and that they had seen been seen by her. But guess what? They didn't believe her. Mary was the first of many. Consider this. About 2,014 years ago, the angels of heaven announced the birth of Christ. And about 33 years later, Mary Magdalene announced the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what is a working witness? Well, in his book, Getting Into God, Stuart Briscoe gives a definition, and I posted it uh, on the screen for you. Stuart Briscoe says that a witness is someone who by explanation and demonstration 
gives audible and visual evidence of what he has seen and heard without being deterred about the consequences. That's a long definition for what a working witness is, but I've never heard a better one. You know, there are about 600 inmates awaiting execution in California. About 12 of those are women, and friend, they have done some horrible, horrible crimes. But that doesn't stop one woman, one woman whose name is Ann Baker, from treating those inmates like she thinks that Jesus should treat them. Baker is one of these women who writes many letters designed to show love to the unlovable. Those men and women on death row. And that group writes to those inmates because they believe that even the worst criminal is a creation of God capable of becoming a child of God. Even the worst of the worst. And I know that's hard for us to understand. But you have to agree, they're all the creation of God. Amen? And they're all capable of becoming a child of God. Now these letters that they write generally are, are very simple. When Ann Baker writes hers, her letters to the, to, the, to the inmate, her pen pal, she writes about her dog. She writes about what's going on in church. She writes about that hot air balloon she saw. The simple things. And then when she gets a letter back from that inmate, that inmate writes about uh, exercising in the prison yard and all the screaming and cursing that goes on in the prison at night. She says that sometimes on bad nights, it's hard for him to even keep his sanity. But there's this one Los Angeles County attorney. And she's the same attorney that prosecuted a woman for killing five of her own children in a horrific way. And she's not a fan of Ann Baker's outreach program. In fact, listen to what she said. That woman said that as a society... We have decided that these people in prison are beyond redemption. They are beyond redemption? It says a lot more about their God than it does about their truth, amen? I mean, was the demon-possessed Mary Magdalene beyond redemption? Is there anyone who is beyond the redemption of God? God wants every one of us to know this morning this. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you think it is, no one is beyond redemption. Mary Magdalene was a woman 
inwardly influenced by Satan himself. Possessed by seven demons. Under that curse of sin. But she was divinely delivered by the power of Jesus Christ, so much so that she became a fervent follower of Jesus and then became a working witness of the Son of God. She wasn't beyond redemption. But what I want you to know is just like Mary, you too can be divinely delivered. No matter how bad you think you are. You can be not only divinely delivered, but you can become a fervent follower and a working witness. How do I do that? Well, if you can believe, if you can bring yourself to believe that you have a God that loves you beyond your understanding, if you can believe that, if you can believe that that same loving God would send His only Son to experience life as a human, if you believe that that same loving God would have a Son that would subject Himself to death and then destroy death by being raised three days later, if you can believe that, and the promise of the Bible is this. God will assure you that you can be forgiven. And God will assure you of eternal life. If you can only believe that. This brings more credence to a fact that I've long since grown to understand. God is more concerned with your future than he is with your past. The question is, can you bring yourself to believe that? Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you so much for the privilege of salvation you offer through your only Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I'm grateful that I can have the forgiveness of sin and that my own death can be utterly destroyed through faith and belief in the only begotten Son of God who died for me and was raised to eternal life for me. Father, my prayer is now that these friends of mine in this room would recognize their own lives in much the same way that Mary Magdalene recognized hers. Inwardly influenced by Satan himself, yet divinely delivered by the power of God. Lord, I pray if there's a person here today that does not know the life-giving offer you provide through faith and belief in Jesus Christ, that today would be their day. That they no longer go, go on in this world being inwardly influenced by the enemy of God. Rather, divinely delivered by the Son of God. Father, I pray you would have your work and your way 
and that great and mighty things would transpire through the course of this decision time, things that we can't begin to fathom or imagine. Lord, for the one that needs prayer, Lord, let them know that we're here to pray with them. Lord, for the one that is about to make a decision about baptism, Lord, let them know that we're here for them. For the one that needs a church family, Lord, let them know that we're here for them. And we're going to give you the praise for all the decisions that are made in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,